Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. It's the passage we're on, um, John chapter 4. We're looking at this, uh, this next installment, this next piece of that great conversation that Jesus had with the unnamed woman in Samaria. Um, this uh, longest single uh, recorded conversation with Jesus, encounter with Jesus with a single person. Um, we, have, we have long uh, sermon uh, that, he, that he gave, the Sermon on the Mount. We have, we have other encounters with Jesus that are described in particular ways, but we don't, we don't, have, a, we don't have anything longer. We don't have anything more, more connected, more, more uh, uh, in intimate a, a conversation than what we have here with Jesus and this woman in Samaria. And we're looking at it from its various perspectives, and we've seen, um, although it's a little, little difficult to deal with, with a piece of the of the encounter. You almost have to deal with all of it at the same time, and we're going to be referring a little bit back to the weeks that we have talked about it in terms of the main, the main encounter with him is to rescue her, rescue her from a drowning experience, a drowning death that she doesn't even know she has. She's drowning in her own in her own sort of uh, addictive behavior. She's drowning in her own uh, um, as it were, unknown uh, captivation with trying to, trying to uh, provide a sense of life to her, herself. And we've seen that in a variety of ways in this passage, and we're going to look at them uh, again. We see, we see her in the way that Jesus encounters her and, and, uh, and, and offers her living water, a, a water that, that she doesn't have to keep coming back to a well to get, to, to satisfy her, a thirst that she doesn't have to continue to quench herself and and uh, and Jesus moves quickly from the physical water to the spiritual sense of quenching when he when he discovers when he doesn't discover what but she discovers that he knows about how she's been trying to quench her sense of security her sense of love her sense of acceptance her sense of identity and value and she's been trying to quench that thirst through a variety of experiences most of them all of them horizontal in some respects through people through avoidance, through, through uh, love in all of its capacities. And Jesus says, there's only one way to quench the thirst that you're trying to, that you're trying to quench, and you're going you're gonna to die of not having that thirst quenched unless you find it in me. And that's where we, where we pick up the story a little bit here. I'm going to start reading at verse, uh, if I can read it, at verse 19, it looks like. Yes, verse 19. They make, are, are your Bibles getting smaller and smaller as mine is? It's very interesting. It's got to be the Bibles. It can't be anything else than that. So let's look at the, the chapter, chapter 4 of John, verse 19. I'm going to read down uh, a bunch of paragraphs here. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are, kind of, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. 
The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I'm I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking to her? When leaving her, when, when, then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that, no one knows, that, no, that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. This is God's word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, that you would uh, captivate our senses today, that you would see our need, that you would see us and see our need for rescue, even as you did with this woman. That you, that, you are, that you look beyond the externals, you look beyond uh, the sin to the need, to the heart, to the concerns of our lives, Lord. And I pray that even now, that, Lord, if there, are, if there are things that we do not know, that you would teach us. If there are things that we do not have, that you would provide for us, Lord. If there are, if there are things that we ought to be, Lord, make us those things. Do that for your sake and for the expansion of your kingdom, and for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, amen. There's a friend of mine who uh, tells, tells a story. Um, he was just sort of relaying a simple experience with uh, some of his kids when they are at home. Is that uh, one Saturday morning, uh, his, his youngest of three comes downstairs, and he's in the kitchen um, making... French toast, and the others are upstairs in the, in the rooms. Things haven't, got, haven't gotten really started yet. And so she comes down, um, the youngest, and walks into the kitchen a little tentative and sees him at the stove, and she kind of walks up to the stove and kind of looks over into the pan and onto the counter and seeing what's going on, and she says to her dad, is that French toast? And he says, uh-huh. And she darts out of the room and runs upstairs shouting, it's French toast, it's French toast, he's making French toast. And then the other kids come running down. It's, very, it's, a, it's a really touching story. It's very, similar to the, it's very similar to in my family, my grown family. Now I have, I have children, they, we, just had, we just had some time with all of our family and Father's Day, all of them were in our town and, and in, my, in our house, and it was great, great to have everybody there and the grandkids and all the rest. It, it's very similar to what happens in my house when my children hear the sound of a champagne cork popping. Is they come from wherever they are going, is there champagne? Where's the champagne? You know, and so 
very, very similar sorts of things. The, the reason I tell you that story is that that's a little bit of what's going on in this passage that I don't want you to overlook. In this particular section, the thing that's most, that's most sort of um, uh, stark in this passage is the reaction of this woman when she encounters Christ. It's almost a spontaneous, involuntary reaction when you have an encounter that, you, that has been so life-changing, has been so amazingly, uh, 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 has been an amazing life experience. And that's true for all of us. I think that when we, you know, whenever, whenever we go through experiences, um, we're, always, we're always, I can't wait to tell. Wait till I get home. I can't wait to share what I, you know, I ran into so-and-so right, at, the, at, the, uh, at, at the giant, you know, or, I, or you'll never guess what happened to me along the way, or you'll never experience, you know, and isn't that what we're all sort of even asking each other when we see each other? I mean, we, we may not ask it specifically in some encounter, but, but when I see you, when I saw many of you this morning, what was the, and when you saw me, what was the thing you said? You said, hello, how was your week? How's thing, how are things going? What are you asking me? You're asking me, what are the life-changing, what are the moments in your life that have happened in the last week that you'd like to share? Because I've got some things that I'd like to share. This is what we do. This is how we're made. And so there's a sense where what's, it's surprising to see her spontaneously leave her jar and run off to a community. And we're going to look at some of the surprising natures of that, but it's also not surprising because that's how we're, that's when French toast is being made, you run off and tell everyone that French toast is being made. It's the most natural experience in life. We do this. And in, in, and in a sense, this is what social media is all about. Social media, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, all of it is based on the idea that humans want to connect by telling you exciting things about what's happening in their lives. And, 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 and where, maybe the, where maybe the cynicism comes in is that something that I find exciting, you may not find exciting. So on the day I'm having French toast, and I post a picture of it on my Facebook, you think, what the heck is he passing around the idea that, that what is, why is his French toast worth posting? Because it was French Toast Day. And most days aren't French Toast Day. And isn't that exciting? And I'm having a great moment. And look at the landscape. And look at the people. And that's what we see happening in life. And there's a number of things that I want us to focus on in this particular passage as it relates to this woman's encounter with Christ. Her encounter, her encounter, her, as it were, uh, the, the encounter that we see previous in the last two weeks was... Jesus' encounter with her, and now we see her encounter with the people of her life. What did the encounter with Christ lead her to in that experience? And that an encounter with Christ always leads to this. When you meet, when you meet the perfect Savior of the world, when you have a, a life-changing, en engaging moment with the infinite God-man, it always leads to these things. It always does. And if it doesn't lead to these things in your life, you haven't met him. You haven't encountered him. You've encountered something or you've had some, or you've had some other experience, but not an encounter with the living, eternal, breathing, life-changing, engaging, rescuing God. That's what we see in here. And we see four things. Her, her encounter with her encounter, her response, an encounter with the people in her life was spontaneous 
it was transparent, it was simple, and it was brave. I want to look at her, her experience post-Jesus, post her first meeting. And this is just from a first meeting with Jesus. The infinite, divine, intricate person that is Jesus. The first time she meets him, it leads to this spontaneous, and as we've said, it's a very natural reaction to, to a life-changing event. It's very spontaneous. It's very, it's, very, it's very involuntary. What leads to this involuntary experience? This, because what she had discovered, there was a hope, there was, a, there was an openness, there was a sense of, and, and it, that spontaneous, involuntary response to the truth and to the encounter with Christ came as a result of its most intimate experience. Why do I say that? Why do you, what led her to this involuntary response? It was because something intimate had just happened to her, something transparent, something vulnerable had just happened, and she wanted to divulge. She wanted to, this, this intimate, vulnerable experience was the thing that led to the spontaneous moment with the people around her. That's why this encounter is so transparent. She goes, she she goes to tell the people, and what does she say to them about what were her first words? She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Now, as we've looked at over the last number of weeks, part of the reason that, there, that, part of the reason that Jesus was meeting her alone at high noon at the well in the ancient Near Eastern desert was because she was there by herself because her community had pushed her out. Her community had pushed her away. Her community had made an assessment about the way she was living her life and said, we don't want any part of you because we know about you. The reason that she felt the need to be at the well alone was because the people around her saw her, assessed her, and said, we don't want any part of you. And here's why this encounter was so life-changing is because when Jesus meets her, she says to him, how is it that you want to have anything to do with me? I'm a woman and I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew and you're a man. There, there are things that divide us. There are things that make you unwilling to be with me, and yet here you are asking me, why are you still here? Everyone else who knows me rejected me. Oh, and, as, and, G, and Jesus says, well, I can give you water that, will never, that you'll never thirst again. And she says, well, I'd love to have this water so I don't have to keep living through this rejection every single day of my life. And, G, and, she says, and Jesus says, well, bring back your husband and let's talk about it. And she says, in her, in her mind, I'm sure she's thinking, oh, my goodness. Um, I, don't, I don't have a husband. And she says, well, I, I don't have a husband and Jesus, and, and she's hoping that he doesn't know. He's ho she's hoping that she doesn't di get disqualified for this offer based on what kind of person, what kind of life she has lived, because everyone else rejects her when they discover more about her. When they get down to the real her, people reject that and have, and have told her and have lived a life that has rejected her. And, and Jesus says, well, I know that you don't have a husband. I know. I know. And I know that you've had 
five husbands, and I know that the man you're living with isn't your husband. I know. I know. I know. I know. But I'm still willing to give you the water. I'm still willing to give you the living water. I know everything about you, and yet I'm still here. I know everything that everyone else knows, and they rejected you. I know everything that they knew, and that I know everything that you know. I know more than you know about you, and I'm still here, and I want to give you the water, and I want to rescue from I am not put off by what I know about you. I am not put off about what others know about you. I'm not put off by what you know about you. I'm here for you, and I see beyond that to what you need from me, and I'm going to give it to you anyway. That's the transformative thing. That's, the ama- that's what sent her running back to the community. <laughs> he told me everything I ever did and stayed. He knew me to the depth of me and stayed. All these other men, I, we talked about over the, over the weeks, we talked about these other men in her life. We don't, well, the Bible doesn't give us all the details about how she had all these other men. There's a sense where I think historically the church tends to look at her as being a user of men. She just lit, went from man to man to man to man. And, and, in there, and indeed, there is that. But, there, but maybe, maybe some of them died and left her destitute. In a world where, in a, in a patriarchal society, where women, had, where women had virtually no value other than what they could provide for and, and being taken care of by the men in their lives, that maybe, they, maybe one or two of them died. Maybe one or the two of them left her destitute in a world. Maybe she, maybe she did need love and couldn't find it and want from it. Uh, we don't know, but it doesn't matter because she's still trying to satisfy a thirst, a thirst for security a thirst for identity, a thirst for value, a thirst for love, a a thirst for a sense of companionship. And Jesus says, I know all about you trying to find a way to satisfy your own needs, and you've done it through a series of, of of what could be destructive, dysfunctional, or illicit relationships. But regardless of what that is, I'm still here. I love you. I see you. I know you. I know. I know. I know but I still want to give you something. I still want you to have me. And that's when she says, well, the Messiah we've been waiting for, the Christ we've been waiting for, he'll tell us all this. I'm, and there's a sense where when she says that in that section, when the Messiah comes, I can see you're a prophet. When the Messiah comes, it's almost like she's been hoping for this Messiah. She's hoping for this person to come who won't reject her with what he knows about her, and Jesus says, the person you've been hoping would never leave you, the person you've been hoping who will know you to the depths and still love you, with ba- will still love you regardless of what he knows about you, I'm him, and I'm here. And that's when she says, oh my goodness, and she runs off to town. The reason it became spontaneous is because that transparent vulnerability, that place of depth, he got to the heart of her and didn't leave her. He got to the center of her life and wasn't put off by what he saw there. And there's a sense where every human being wants that relationship. That's what you want. That's what each of you wants. And you know it from both ends of that angle. When someone does know you to the depths and doesn't reject you, 
gives you, gives you a sense of acceptance even though they know that you are a filthy, miserable sinner? You go, that, that, that's freeing. There's a sense of connectedness. There's a sense of euphoria that I, don't have, that I can let down my guard, that I, that I cannot have to protect or pretend. The other thing that you know it by is, is because you, you know it by the, the way that you protect yourself from those vulnerable rejections is because you put the mask on. You put the mask on, and I'm not talking about the physical mask that you put on, but you put on a mask of performance. You and I, we, we're taught by our culture, we're taught by the poor responses, we're taught by the rejections that we experience, that I'm glad to let you know me to a certain level, but I'm not going to let you know me all the way. Because if you know me all the way, if you know down to the depth of me, you will respond poorly. You will reject me in some fashion. You will push me away. I'll let you know about the, I'll let you know about the safe things, but I won't let you know about the unsafe things. And that reaction is you, that reaction is actually your desperate desire to be wanted and loved. You're willing to put a mask on and not be the full human that you are. Not willing to, you are willing to put the mask on and to truncate what I know about you because you want to foster a deeper connection, which you think that's your manipulative, man-made, human way of trying to maintain a connection because you don't think it's possible that another human being could know you to the depth without a sense of mask, without a sense of, of truncation, and still love you. But that's what we want. That's how we're made. And that's what's out there in the culture, and we desperately want that, and that's what's in our world. They des- we we want to be, be known deeply and loved despite it. And that's what transforms, and that's what the gospel offers, to be known, to be understood at, that, at the deepest level, to, 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 for Jesus not to reject us even though he knows about us, and to save us from the very thing that he knows, to redeem the very thing that he knows about us, but not to be rejected by it, not to be, not to be put off by it. That's the transparency of this process, and she's willing to share that transparency. Not only, see, here's the thing. The transparency he has with that she has with Jesus, the fact that he knows her and loves her despite the brokenness of her world, the betrayal of her world, that he still knows her and loves her, leads her to a transparency with people. Did you get that? She says, hey, here I am, I'm back in town, and I, I met a man. I'm, I'm, just, I'm telling you about a, an intimate encounter I just had with a man who knows everything you know and that I know, and he didn't reject me. She's willing to be honest about her life and to put, put herself out there in, in human relationships because now she's discovering a little piece. She's discovering the little piece that when Jesus knows me and accepts me, I, it doesn't matter whether I accept me or whether you accept me or love me, regardless of what you may or may not know about me. That's the level of transparency that she's discovered. So it's spontaneous, it's transparent, her response, but it's also, it's simple. Do you see how simple it is? Sometimes people, sometimes I run into, I run into people who, who, um, who are confronted with the idea that we, that we ought to be sharing our faith and making our faith public with the people around us, and they, they, nobody knows how to do that effectively. Nobody knows how to do that with any sort of it's, it's a conundrum. It's a, it's a, it, it should be spontaneous. This woman didn't take a class. There was no evangelism class for this woman. 
There was no distance between when she had the encounter to going out. You don't need a method. There's no, it doesn't, you know, it's far simpler than a method. It's far simpler than a class. This is what I, this is often what I don't understand when people say, when we want to make our faith public, the, the spontaneous nature of it, when you, when you have an encounter with Christ that is authentic, real, and genuine, leads to this spontaneous step forward to share with whoever happens to be around. And it, it's often, it's often the reason I think we don't spontaneously share it and that it isn't simple in our expression and we're always looking for a method in terms of perfection because you haven't met the real Jesus or you haven't encountered him in an authentic fashion. There was a time in my Christianity when I was much younger, I was sharing this with a friend this week, that, that, my, that my relationship, that as I understood what Christianity was, it was about... It was about towing a line and maintaining a conformity and getting it right and being sure that everything was done well and organizing it and, and being faithful and all about me. I looked at it as more about the effort that I was exerting and the strain and the understanding and the, and the, and the effort and the work that I had to do to make it happen. And I never shared my faith in those contexts. I never told... I never. I never was public about it, even though I was, I was encouraged to by all the youth directors and all the pastors in my life. You should share your faith. You should share your faith. You should let people know. But here's the thing. What, the, what I discovered only in the second half of my Christianity was the reason I didn't share it then is because why would I want to subject anyone else that I'm talking to to the treadmill of performance that I was on? Why would I want anyone else to get on that treadmill and sweat and bleed and strain when the Christianity is about freedom, love, and grace and about what Jesus provides for me rather than what I'm providing for him. And when Christianity became about forgiveness and surrender and about the work of the cross and not the work of the, of the, of the person and about what Jesus provides rather than what he produces, then it became an exciting thing. I can have my sins forgiven. I was a big sinner, and Jesus, over, Jesus forgives and overwhelms and overcomes big sinners. I can have my whole record expunged and not have it count against me and move forward with hope and life and freedom and spontaneousness and with a sense, uh, with a sense of joy. Yes, Jesus says, and... That's what led me to be able to say that I think people would love to know about. And that's what she found out from her friend in her experience. He, did, he looked at everything I ever knew and stayed and loved me. And it was simple. What did she say? How simple was her? How simple was this experience? She says, she basically goes back and says, just come see a man. <laughs> come see a man. That's it. That's the essence of Christianity. Come see a man. That's, that's the essence of sharing it. Come see this person. And here's the thing. She wasn't even certain the person was the person. <laughs> this, is how, this is how amazingly simple and, and innocent and complete. She says, what, what does she say? She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could, it, could this be the Christ? She's even, she even has a sense of, she doesn't, she's incomplete. She doesn't even have a complete knowledge of him. She doesn't know much about him, but the knowledge she does have of him, she's willing to give it away and help people to cross the same bridge she's crossing. I'm not sure if he's the man, but he sure seems like he could be the man. 
And that's the reason that she's drawing people to come out. He could be the man. And here's the thing, I know he's the man. And some of you know that he is the man. But you don't know everything about him. You can't. He's infinite. But you know enough. You know enough. Just as this woman knew enough. And it's just simple. It's a man. See, the, the essence of Christianity isn't about, you know, every other religion is about the way, the principles, the philosophy, the sevenfold path. It's about the path, the way, the life, the philosophy, the agenda, the paradigm. Every other religion. Christianity goes against that whole thing because it isn't about a path. It isn't about a philosophy. It's not about a paradigm. It's not about a, it's not about a, 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 a method. It's about a man. It's about a person. That's why all through the Scriptures, especially in John, you see him talking about, I am the way, the truth. I am the living water. I am the bread. I am at the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am who I am. He's always talking about himself. He's talking about what am I? It's about me. It's about, it's about what I'm going to do. And, it, and we find that a little bit further. Is that a whole essence of what Jesus was about was about finishing the work the Father had given him. Finishing, finish, finish. Where do we hear that word used before? It is finished. It's about the cross, Jesus said. I, it's about me finishing something that you can't finish. It's about me. And when you discover that it's about him and not about you, that makes it all the more spontaneous to want to share because every other religion's about me. Every other religion's about get your work out, get your method together. You better get it right. You better organize it. You better know more. You better get... But when Christianity is about a man who did it all and gave it all for his people, simple, simply telling them about something that happened, sharing in her broken, uncertain, weak fashion, stumbling towards expressing who it is she had encountered. And that's the nature of sharing and making our faith public. It's not about a pristine, organized method. It's not about an outline that you've, that you've memorized and learned how. You know, the, the, last thing, the last thing that attracts me is when someone calls me on the phone and says, Hello, Mr. Dareth. Can I interest you in some, in some, uh, in some you know, uh, aluminum siding? Did you know that aluminum siding is 95% better than blah, blah, blah? And I can tell they're reading from a script. I can tell they're talking about something that they've learned to tell me about. And now they're trying to, as it were, sell me something that they've, uh, that they've put through a mechanical method. And the essence of Christianity is not a mechanical method. It's about a person, personal encounter. And all of those witnessings and all of those, all of those testimonies, this woman's and yours and mine, are all varied and unique and, and genuine. Uh, do you ever hear a three-year-old talk about his day? I have a three-year-old in my family. It is the most interesting encounter you will come across. It's full of dinosaurs and full of people and dogs and, and experiences and brothers and sitting on the step because he had to. It, there's all, and, and he does not tell me the story 
like his father would tell me the story. He doesn't tell me the story like I would tell the story. He doesn't tell the story in the way that you'd write it in a book, but he tells it because it's his story and I am wrapped in attention because I want to hear it from his angle. I want to understand it from his point of view. And that's why Jesus doesn't give us methods. He gives us encounters that lead to these spontaneous moments. And those those testimonies are powerful. Simple, broken, weak, unprepared, scared. That's why the easiest thing in the world is to simply share what it is that's happened with you. What, hap- what happened? Well, I met a man. You should come meet this man. He told me everything I ever did, and he accepted me. But it's not just spontaneous and transparent and simple. It's brave. Do you see the bravery of it? She goes back to the very people that had rejected her. An encounter with Jesus led her to go back to the people that she had been trying to avoid. She had gone there at noon. She had established this whole plan. I don't have to go in the morning like everybody else if I just go at noon. And so if I go at noon, I get my water and I don't have to live through the conversations and I don't have to live through the dirty looks and I don't have to live through through the rejection. And so I don't have to feel afraid. I don't have to feel rejected if I just go at noon. She put this plan together. She was avoiding them to some extent. And yet now that she's encountered Jesus, she doesn't avoid. What? How does that happen? The love of Christ leads you to, to break down barriers in your own life. It leads to, when, the, when Jesus breaks down the barriers to get to you and your heart, it leads you to want to break down the barriers to get to others' hearts. And she spontaneously goes back to the people that she loves or that, that she, was, she was avoiding to love them with, with the idea that maybe the very same thing that has happened to her could happen to them going to the people that she was trying to avoid. Here's the, that's the surprising thing about the disciples. They come into town, and they're surprised. What are they surprised at? Jesus, the disciples come back. Now, now keep in mind, these are people, these, these are tw- 12 people, at least 11 of which were getting the message. The 12th one didn't get it, but 12, 11, all there, and they had gone into town to get food. That's what he tells us earlier in the story. And they come back, they come back and find Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman. And the thing that surprises them, what's he talking to a woman for? Hey, did you notice he's talking to a woman? He's talking to the Samaritan woman. What's that so surprising? You know, and they're surprised. Why are they surprised? The, the makeup of the disciples was a mishmash of, re, of rejects, fishermen. Nobody wanted to be around a fisherman. They were the lowest. And some of that is like, you know, sort of like being a pig farmer. I guess. Who wants to be around a pig farmer? It's, it's a smelly job. Nobody wants to do it. They're providing a service that, you know. And the same thing was true in the day and age, in, in this day and age, is that the fishermen, they, no, nobody wanted to be a part of a fisherman. Fisherman's life is a little smelly. It's a little, little grueling, a little, little off-putting. You know, how, you know what a sailor's mouth is all about. I mean, that, there's, all, there's all that kind of... Fishermen, tax collectors... A, co- a tax collector was taking advantage of the community that he was sent to be a part of, a zealot, which today we might think of as a terrorist. Jesus was gathering together all kinds of marginalized people into one group, and, they, and yet when he finds him, when they find him talking to another marginalized group, Samaritans and women, he, they're surprised. Why did it surprise them? Why did it surprise them? 
the whole group of you are sinful rejects, and yet they're talking to another sinful reject, and you're going, what's he talking about a sinful reject for? <laughs> and there's a sense where that happens, is that once you become familiar with Jesus and you, you get used to being a part of him, you stop realizing that Jesus is, that you were a sinful reject and Jesus loved you and drew you in. And so when you see him, when you see Jesus and the message of the gospel coming to people who are sinful rejects, it's almost surprising. But it oughtn't to be. That's who Jesus came for. Each of you is a sinful reject. And Jesus crossed the barriers to rescue you from that experience. And so in this regard, Jesus shatters their expectations of him. Jesus, that is, and that, if there's any MO, if there's any method to his madness in terms of what Jesus is doing, is that Jesus always shatters our sense of who we think he is. He always shatters our expectation of what we think he's going to do. And he's always spending time and engaging people that we never thought he'd spend time or engage. Who are those people in this culture? Who are those people in our lives? Who are those people in, you, in our experience? Rejects, outcasts. The, the other thing is that when we know a little bit about the backstory here, she notices that she's a Samaritan woman, and she mentions that Jews don't associate with Samaritans. There was a deep, deep abiding race, race uh, disconnect, a racial divide, a racist experience going on here, and she's pointing that out. And I don't know if she was pointing that out for her own sake, maybe a little bit, pointing that out certainly for Jesus' sake in terms of being a Jew and a man in that, in that power culture. And so when you discover a little bit about this backstory and then you realize that the disciples, Jews, were in town, Samaria, you discover, oh, so they didn't really engage any of the people down there. They quick bought lunch and then came out to meet Jesus. You discover that their own racism was getting in the way of their encounter. You discover that their own prejudice, their own sense of privilege, their own sense of superiority was getting in the way of their ability because when Jesus, said, when Jesus says to them, that you come back and, and they see this woman, they go, why is he talking to a Samaritan woman for? That's, that seems awfully odd. Why is, he, why is he doing that? That doesn't make sense at all. What, you know, they, they don't... They, they <laughs> and then when she leaves, good, she's gone. Jesus, have some food. We brought you some food. You sent us to town to get the food. He says, you, you don't understand what my food is. You have no clue what I'm about. You think food for me is the food? And they go, and their stupidity, their sense of surprise, their sense of dumbfoundedness. I mean, it's amazing how dense these people are. And, and then lest I start pointing the finger at them, I realize how dense I am in many cases when it comes to understanding who Jesus is and what he's trying to accomplish in me and in the world. They go, did somebody bring him food? Jesus, have something to eat. Oh, I've eaten. I, 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 the food I have is... is what, what Food? Did somebody bring it? Who brought him food? Did she bring him food? Where did he get the food? And Jesus says, the food that I'm talking about is a food you don't get. The food for me, what, what gives me sustenance, what gives me life, what, what fills me up is doing my Father's will and getting it finished, getting it finished for the sake of this woman, for the sake of you, for the sake of everyone, and my food is... My food is her. What satisfies me is people. Jesus is constantly prioritizing people. And he sent them into town. And he, it's almost as if he's saying, I sent you into town, and all you came back with was food? Physical food? 
She goes to town, spends 30 seconds, and comes back, and he says, look, the fields are white, and, and there's a little exclamation point there. If you'll notice in your text, uh, rarely do we have a chance to sort of uh, express that a little bit. This is in verse uh, 35. Do you, not, do you not say four months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. Boom. Jesus is saying, actually, open your eyes. Look at the fields. He's saying, look, look. At, I sent her to town. I sent her to town spontaneously. She runs off to town. I sent her to town, and she comes back with, the, with what I was hoping you were going to come back with. You're the professional preachers. You're the people that are, you're the 12, 11 that are going to be passing this on. You're the ones, and I sent you into town, and what are you, you came back with, with a sandwich? I sent her to town with a brief encounter with, with, a, with no method, with nothing but her own sense of, of, of having her debt been forgiven, and you, the same debts that you've been forgiven, and she comes back, she comes back with the town. The very thing that I was hoping for. Brave. Brave encounter, shattering expectation. All because she met the real Jesus. All because she had a debt paid and expunged that she had no clue that she had for one thing, but then she never but she never thought could ever be forgiven. And it was. And when that occurs to the soul, when that occurs to your experience, and daily, every day, you, re you, 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 you rehearse the idea that you are a rejected sinner, a marginalized reject, and that Jesus saw that, saw you to the depths, and loves you anyway, to pay for the very thing you couldn't pay for, and wants to save you from that pattern, it's the most amazing encounter of all, which leads to transparency and bravery, simplicity, authenticity, and spontaneity. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for, for encountering us, Lord, that this doesn't happen by our efforts. It happens by us experiencing the real you, infinite, loving, intimate, hopeful, forgiving, merciful. And when we have experienced such amazing mercy, it leads us to follow your mission, your mission to do the will of your Father in encountering the souls and gathering in the people that you've prioritized for yourself. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.